listening to My Life, My Say's podcast. Okay, dogs, we're going to kick things off for this evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Swazi. I'll be your host this evening. And welcome to Quarantine Question Time, hosted by My Life, My Say. It's so good to have you guys. Um, this is a digital space for young people to receive expert advice on coronavirus and its impact on young people. Today's event, we've partnered with the one and only One Young World to showcase how young leaders are on the front line, taking on the fight against COVID-19 and supporting those most in need. You can see our panellists and they're looking gorgeous this evening so we're in for a good conversation. This show will take place every Thursday from next week starting from 6.30pm and we're delighted to announce we've got some VIP guests in the house for the following weeks. Next week Wednesday we'll be joined by Joshua Wong. Um, he's from Hong Kong, he's an activist and time person of the year for 2014 followed by Obama's for former Secretary of Defence Chuck Hagel on the 21st of May. So get your diaries out, put those dates in your diary because we would love to see you be part of that conversation um, and keep up to date on all the socials please follow at my life my say and at one young world on twitter and be part of the conversation using the hashtag quarantine question time because we'll be following this for all your questions and your comments as well um, you will also see a chat box and if you can type the city that you're calling in from given that tonight is all things global we would love we would really love to capture where people are calling in from um, yeah so drop it in the comments and we would love to see who around the world is logged in Okie dokes, let me introduce to you our amazing panel, who are all ambassadors from One Young World, the largest global youth summit that gathers young leaders from around the world to develop solutions to the globe's most pressing issues. And I think COVID-19 is definitely up there. So this week, we are joined by Virginia Burley from the USA, Head of Youth Engagement and Skills, Global Business Coalition for Education. Jamira, hello sis, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation and hello to everyone around the world who tuned in today. Yes. Amazing. You're calling in from New York? I am. Yep. Woohoo! See, I told you, we're going international, baby. Tonight is international. And um, we've also got Dr. Carlos Iberi on, medical doctor from Mexico. Carlos in the house. Hello, sir. Carlos, are you with us? Hey, how are you, everyone? I'm so excited to be part of this and really honored. Amazing, amazing. So we've got New yes, York. Sure. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes, yes. Can you. Thank you so much for jumping on the conversation. It's really good to have you. Okay. We've also got Jemima Lovett on the call, founder of Thrive from the UK. Hi, Jemima. Hi, hello. Thanks for having me. All good. How are you doing, sis? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, 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 good. Repping the UK, so you know. <laughs> are you from London as well? I am, born and bred. Whoop whoop, London's in the house. Um, and finally, but certainly not least, we've got Bonnie Chu as well, social entrepreneur, founder, um, and who's also joining us all the way from Hong Kong. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, hi. I'm actually in London right now, but I'm from Hong Kong, so I feel a bit of a, of a yeah. <laughs> The scales of tip, the scales of tip, but it's good. It's really good. Um, and so, yeah, we are so, so excited. Tonight is everything to do with um, COVID-19 in terms of what it looks like globally. And so that is why we put together a really crazy international panel to kind of put together this conversation as well. Um, so before we start, to you guys who have logged in online, hello and welcome to Quarantine Question Time. My name is Swazi. And before we start, I just want to run you through some of the ground rules and how all of this works. So if you see at the bottom of your screen, there's some functions. 
Um, one of them is called Raise Your Hand. Throughout the event, you will have the opportunity to make your own comments or ask questions to the panelists. And in order to conduct this in a fair way and to allow everyone to have their say, you'll need to indicate by clicking the Raise Your Hand function and I'll call your name and unmute you so you can speak and share your question. We love taking calls and we love to hear more voices on this call as well, so feel free to raise your hand. Um, there's also a Q&A function, so if you don't want to speak but you want to type in your question, that is more than fine. We'll definitely see that. Um, so yeah, put through your questions through the Q&A function and we'll pick up those questions to ask the panelists as well. Um, live polling, of course we need a live poll. We'll be practicing democracy in action by giving you the opportunity to vote throughout the event. This will pop up on your screen when I indicate and all you need to do is vote. You've got about two minutes or so to cast your votes um, and then we'll take the poll results at the end of the show. So stay right to the end and see what came out as number one. Um, so without further ado and talking about polls, let's kick off with our first poll of the night. Um, so our poll question this evening is this. What do you think will be the biggest impact globally as a result of COVID-19? What do you think will be the biggest impact globally as a result of COVID-19? There's a couple options for you to choose from. Economy, job security, health service, food and agriculture, poverty, mental health and schooling. Um, so cast your votes, you've got about two minutes or so. And we're really asking young people, young people, what do you think will be the number one biggest global impact um, as a result of COVID-19. So let me jump over to Dr. Carlos. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, and even, even the perspective of maybe young people in Mexico, but young people in general, what do you think, you, what do you think will be their number one pick? Hey, can you hear me now, Sorcy? Yes, I can hear you. Here I am, I can hear you well. I don't know if you can hear me. <laughs> There's a bit of a lag, but that's okay, fine. Sorry, some connection issues. Oh, well, this is a really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the, the, the toughest question of the night, but uh, if I have to pick only one of these, uh, probably I would go with mental health because mental, mental health is really the connection of all of the other uh, points that you are asking to. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe after this crisis, there is no doubt that, that we are not going to be the same after that. I mean, this is definitely a milestone uh, of what, where we used to be and what we are going to be. So the self-awareness of the humankind against the nature uh, definitely is going to change. I mean, the crisis is teaching us uh, the biggest lesson in humbleness that we have ever imagined. Uh, yeah. So mental health. Uh, it would be my guest. And, and I can go longer on that because, I mean, we are realizing that in the long term, the pre prevention is cheapest option than a cure. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, we are, we are facing now the idea that kindness is more important than, than even religions or that science is more important than politics. I mean, we, we hit against a wall realizing that the virus is, does is not known about frontiers. So I, I think that the, the biggest impact definitely is going to be the way as we, we are conscious about us in this planet. Yeah, great. Mental health, top pick. Thank you, Dr. Carlos. Uh, Bonnie, you're nodding as well. Do you think mental health will be up there or do you have another guess as to what will be number one as the result of the biggest global impact as a result of COVID-19? 
I think I'm quite conditioned probably by the news that I read every day and I, I uh, the first thing that came to mind is the economy um, just whether it's um, yeah all across the world really that we see uh, this wave of recessions um, governments coming to the rescue um, and I guess I've seen COVID-19 already in January um, and when it started in Hong Kong and uh, keeping in touch with my family there. Um, and already we saw the economy tank in China and then now all across the world. And the, um, but I think it's also an opportunity for us to fun fundamentally rethink um, what's the kind of economic system we want uh, moving forward uh, because the current economic system as we see is actually not benefiting majority uh, of the people. Uh, so I think while it's a, a biggest impact, the GDP, all the figures as we know it will go down, 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 but actually it's an opportunity to rethink as well. Yeah. Yeah, economy. That's a huge one. Of course, of course. I think, yeah, the, the result really is that nothing is going to be the same. And that is huge for the economy as well. Um, Jamira, what do you think? Any, any thoughts on the number one top pick? Yeah, I think originally I wanted to say the economy as well. But I think what, what we've seen even before COVID is that economies do well when people are doing really bad. And so my number one pick will be poverty, because um, I think the vast majority of people around the world um, were already suffering, were already not a part of the ecosystem that allows for folks to reach the middle class or to reach economic um, independence. And so I do think that this is only going to increase the wealth gap in many countries, um, especially for those who already don't have access to resources and opportunities. Um, and so to your point, I think we are looking at an entirely new world, right? Folks are wanting to get back to normal, but this is the time for us to reconsider how we do our work and how we're ensuring that those who have the little, who are the littlest with the least also have opportunity for financial, um, financial growth for themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah, great connection, of course. Economy, um, poverty, and the way people live, how we go back to work is a whole nother conversation as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see what these polls results will say. Um, Jemima, any, any other thoughts or who you siding with? What will be the number one pick that you think young people will say? Um, I, I would really agree with everything that's been said um, so far. And I think a lot of this will depend on like where you're based in the world as to what your experience is. But um, definitely in terms of what I'm seeing, like job retention, and people like losing work because lots of young people are in jobs that they can't necessarily work from home to do. Mm -hmm. um, they've been in jobs for shorter periods of time. They have less experience. They're kind of the first ones to maybe uh, be let go of in a crisis. Um, yeah. I know that lots of lots of friends and people are really worried about this. So I think that will be a big one. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for everyone's thoughts. Um, if you've logged in right now, welcome. Welcome to Quarantine Question Time. We've just kicked off with the poll. You've joined right in on time. Um, and so, yeah, get voting because we're going to take the results at the end of the show. So stay with us to see what will be the number one pick um, that young people think will be the biggest global impact as a result of COVID-19. Stay to the end. Um, okay, we're going to do a fire round now. And I would love to know more about our special guests. And given that tonight is all about the global impact of COVID-19, we've put together an international panel um and so yeah let's find out a little bit who these guys are and what's going on in their part of the world so um i'm gonna head over to jamira who's smiling at me and it's just yeah i see you susan that colgate smile i see you so um calling in from new york let us know a little bit about who you are the companies or the things that you're involved with um things that you run and yeah how covid19 has affected you 
Awesome. Well, first of all, I have a smile because I'm on my second cup of coffee, so it's kicking in. <laughs> um, but no, first I will say, I hope those who are tuning in, uh, I'm praying for all of you. I know this is difficult that we're all experiencing this very differently, both for ourselves individually, but also for our larger families. Um, but as mentioned, I am based in New York. I'm originally from two hours from here, from Philadelphia. And the work that I do really centers around three areas, right? Youth, community and social impact. Um, so I'm the head of youth engagement and skills at the Global Business Coalition for Education. And we work with more than 150 companies worldwide on how they invest in education for the most marginalized of communities. So girls education, children on the move or refugee youth. Um, and even more important in the fourth industrial revolution, how are we creating skills opportunities for young people? Um, in addition to that, I also co-host a show on Series XM. Um, so I guess host on the radio and I also consult with a number of for-profit entities on how they engage impacted communities on social justice efforts. Um, a lot of my work has always been, how do I use my personal direct experience growing up in poverty in Philadelphia, experiencing violence firsthand to lend opportunities for young people to be the experts of their own experience and to use their experience not as something that is hindering their, their trajectory in life, but really as an example of all the things that they can change to make the world that much better. So I'm super excited and honored to be amongst this panel because I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that young people have the answers. We just have to create the space for them to, to develop the change that they want to see. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. We're coming back to you. We've got loads of questions lined up, so we're coming back. Um, I'm going to jump over to Jemima next, founder of Thrive from the UK. So Jemima, just give us the spiel, man. What's going on at Thrive? Um, and yeah, just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how COVID has also impacted you. Yeah, so um, Thrive is all about addressing the issue of domestic abuse. And we've seen a huge increase in domestic abuse um, in London, across the UK, but around the world. Um, like really shocking statistics, like 400% increase in calls to phone lines. And um, we just realised that there's such an increase in awareness of this issue and an increase in need that we should create a campaign to share information about domestic abuse. It's something I've been working on since um, I was 19 years old. I've done loads of work on it. So pulled in all the people I've worked with over the years. We've created a whole load of resources and we've put them up online for free. Um, just for everyone to have an access to it, uh, to educate themselves. Uh, so if you think you're working with someone who's suffering an abusive relationship that you become aware of, or if you think a family member is experiencing it, you can learn about it and, and help them in a really informed way. Yeah, amazing. Thank you. Um, and it is really, really important to say that that is, of course, a global issue. And to hear the statistics is, is really tough, really hard. So, um, yeah, guys, if you've got questions around that, please send us your questions. We would love to, um, yeah, get into that conversation as well. Um, we've got a doctor in the house, medical doctor from Mexico. We've got Dr. Carlos with us. Um, so, yeah, what is it going, what's happening in, in Mexico and also your work? What is it that you're doing now? How have things changed and how have you been affected by the virus? Okay, so once again, uh, I, I, I am part of the probably one of the the most difficult answer on, on how the country is facing this this pandemic. So I'm going to start by by telling myself I'm a medical doctor, one young world ambassador, and I have this deeply commitment with global health. So on my regular day, I am part of the board of a nonprofit organization that provides medical care uh, to low income population. Uh, due to this pandemic, we need to change and we are fundraising to provide protective personal equipment 
for hospital facing COVID. Also, I work for a, for a pharmaceutical uh, trying to bring to public agenda Chagas disease, which is one of the 17 neglected tropical diseases determined by World Health Organization. And it's the second cause of heart failure uh, in Latin America. Um, so in, in the next three minutes, I'm gonna try to explain uh, a little bit uh, how COVID is affecting Mexico from two, three different angles. But first of all, I, I need to, to state that here in Mexico, we have 10% mortality rate, which is 3% higher than the rest of the world uh, due to coronavirus. So we have to face that uh, different of all of you. Mexico is a developing country with a high burden of non-communicable diseases that are now proved as risk factors for greater mortality related with COVID, like obesity, hypertension, and diabetes. Uh, I mean, while we're trying to, to flatten the contagion curve by staying home, we're delaying the treatment of other chronic illnesses that are the second curve that we need to be prepared uh, for. So despite we can reduce the number of new coronavirus cases, our healthcare system is facing an imminent collapse. Because uh, I don't want to get too much political, but since the beginning of the new government administration, our president, uh, cut healthcare funding and change now hospitals, uh, how hospitals get medical supplies. So at this point, Mexico has 50% less beds per capita compared with the US, and a quarter of the nurses uh, that US uh, has. So it's really difficult because Mexico has been handling the coronavirus differently from much of the world. I mean, in one side, the, the president denied for weeks that the, the virus was a threat and continued to hug and shake hands with his supporters and also claims that COVID-19 cannot harm him because he had a protective shield made of a religious amulet and prayer. I mean, I know this, is, this sounds like fun, but it's the reality. And in the other side, uh, Deputy Health Minister, uh, Dr. lopez Gatel. Uh, that is the government main spokesperson of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, every day, encourage people to stay home and obey uh, the recommendations of the adequate hygiene and the social distancing. So even though our deputy of health is trying his best, he's fighting against his own boss. Mm -hmm. He's undermining the strategy. So the situation led him to, to states like, one has to find the correct balance between doing good with an intervention and minimizing secondary effects. Yeah. So there's a lot of info that, that I can provide more, but but we'll definitely uh, get into it with the questions though. We'll definitely yeah. get into it. And it's and it is actually quite fascinating to think that's happening in Mexico, but there are some really common traits of that also happening in the UK, um, probably happening in the US as well. So um, it seems to be weirdly enough common across the world where you've got leaders saying things or not setting the example and then people um, having to having to fill those voids and, and kind of take the lead. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be questions around leadership and, and how you work those things out. I'm sure we're gonna um, yeah get into that in the Q&A as well. So so thank you. Thanks for giving us the, the overview of Mexico. Let's jump into Hong Kong now. I feel like I'm on a cruise. I feel like I'm just, you know, going from place to place right now. So um, Bonnie, give us the update. I know you're in London, but in terms of Hong Kong and just, yeah, being an entrepreneur, I suppose, what does work look like for you? Give us a little bit of a, of a bio and how 
now also COVID has affected you? Yeah, I mean, if I was calling in from Hong Kong, it would be 2 a.m. And I don't know if my dedication <laughs> is that strong enough. Um, but I, I'm, I would love to be in Hong Kong, but um, uh, Hong Kong has been very strict uh, with um, uh, immigration restrictions. So if you are coming abroad, um, even though you're a Hong Kong citizen, you'll need to be subject to two weeks of quarantine. And by quarantine, they really mean quarantine. You have a tracker, um, you can't go of your house, um, you have to get food delivered for you. The government will actually send people to buy you food and you can tell them what you want, etc. So they have quite nice treatment, but still you can't get, get out. And it's also um, my worry that I will be causing risks to, to my family, especially my, um, my grandparents. So I've decided not to uh, go back to Hong Kong and wait out, but uh, some good news from Hong Kong, which I uh, am really proud of, uh, for 18 days, we don't have any case, uh, homegrown cases. Yeah. So all the cases, they're only single digit case every day are from abroad, uh, but those are, you know, ex um, uh, under quarantine. So I think it's, uh, for me as a person kind of uh, from Hong Kong, but being in London, I think it's quite difficult and it makes me see how much the government's role really is in handling crisis. But as a, as a citizen, it, it can sometimes feel quite hopeless because there are very few things we can do to really change the big picture. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, what I'm trying to do is I, I run a few different companies, but the, the main streams of work is really gender and technology and philanthropy and social investment. So some of the things that I'm trying to do, uh, one, um, just doing a lot of more volunteering than usually um, because there's so much suffering and pain in the world. So some of the things I'm trying to do uh, is promoting storytelling and um, photography as a therapy to uh, promote well-being. So I founded an organization called Lensational that trains women and girls photography and storytelling. And we're turning that around and say, actually, can you, within the confines of home, use photography? to promote your well-being and we have some really amazing stories from actually domestic workers uh, that we've trained who actually for them staying at home has been the reality for a long time like from from every single day they just go out to shop so while for many of us it's a new reality actually for domestic workers it's not and we've seen that they use photography to cope uh, within the confines of their home. So this is my way of just trying to contribute to how can people feel better within uh, the situation. Uh, the other thing that I'm trying to promote is I write on Forbes uh, on gender and diversity. So uh, following what Jemima said, um, the impact, disproportionate impact that COVID-19 has on vulnerable groups, especially women and girls, uh, in terms of domestic abuse, in terms of uh, losing jobs, etc. So that's just through that channel I just try to promote and hope Hopefully policymakers and decision makers will be more nuanced and thinking who, which are the groups that need our help most immediately, but also in the recovery and resilience phase. Uh, and then other than that, I'm just trying to mentor young people. I know a lot of young people I come across, I mean, I'm still young, but um, young people who are graduating or who are currently studying, um, and maybe some of you are here as well, uh, it's very worrying you know, being in, graduating during this time. And so I'm just trying to give my time to uh, provide some coaching and career support and some internship opportunities as well whenever I can. So yeah, just doing my best. 
you sound busy. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. That's amazing. Yes. And, and I suppose as, oh, one of the questions before we do kick off the Q&A, what, what have you seen um, as, as a main difference or one of the main differences from, from Hong Kong to living in London? I suppose that must be having two worlds and being um, aware of both worlds. Have you seen something in one country that you thought, oh, I thought that would be here? Or yeah, what's your view and take on, on, um, on London, but, or UK, but also from a Hong Kong background? Yes, I, I've been uh, living in London for the past seven years, but I go back to Hong Kong every two, three months. Yeah. And because COVID-19 started already in January in China and then, um, well, earlier, but uh, kind of known to the world is in, in January. And then Hong Kong, I think we had the first case in January as well. So I've been aware of COVID-19 for so long and I've been telling my friends here, my colleagues, uh, please wash your hands and please uh, buy some masks, please use hand sanitizers and I give, give my colleagues like masks and stuff. Um, but unfortunately, I think people are thinking that I'm a bit too crazy and on the edge and I think maybe yeah. I'm on the edge anyway all the time. So uh, I think I was not taken very seriously um, until really mid-March and, and it starts to hit. And I think a lot of people around me then realized that I wasn't, I, I was coming from a, uh, a reasonable place, but then that's too late. And I think the government structures um, have been quite different. I, when I was in primary school, I went through SARS and it was a, well, I didn't get it, but I was at home and it was really a traumatic experience for Hong Kong people. And I think that part of the world. And so I think we remember that time and we remember that our individual responsibilities or our individual rights uh, come after the collective responsibility and i think people are willing to make sacrifices much earlier on uh, in hong kong than what i see in the uk uh, but of course it's hard because without that experience it, it's very hard to tell someone that you need to change and maybe we need to suffer before we can do things differently so yeah that's kind of i would say i've been feeling quite torn um but also a sense of helplessness because i can't really make people see things differently yeah yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And for everyone on the call, yeah, throwing as much of where you are, what's happening where you are, because it is, it's amazing to learn what's going on in different parts of the world. A couple shout outs from people who've joined us. Uh, Mary Cloak says hi to all the panelists. Hi, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've got people tuned in from Dubai, which is amazing. South Africa as well. Um, hi to Carlos. Hi to everyone, all the panelists. Um, and so, yeah, we're up to coming up to seven o'clock. And so we're going to open up the Q&A now. Now, this is a point where you can ask any question, ask any question that you want to our panelists. Either you use the Q&A function or you want to call in. And I believe we've got our first caller of the evening. Um, oh, hi from Peru as well. Hi, Peru. Um, loads of people. Okay, great. We are joined by Sharon. Sharon Adibola, I think, is joining us. Sharon, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Where are you calling in from? Um, I'm calling in from London. Hey, London. London's in the house. Um, <laughs> thanks, Sharon, for joining us. Let us know your question. Um, so recently, we've seen a rise in domestic abuse cases in many countries. So my question to Apanis is, do you think more needs to be done to address domestic abuse? And what more do you think can be done? Amazing. Thank you, Sharon. Um, I'm going to send that to Jemima first and then open it up to the panellists. Yeah, so um, 
I think there's two questions here. It's one, um, how much of this was already happening that has been revealed by lockdown? Um, and secondly, how much of this is an increase as a result of lockdown and people being together more and therefore there being the opportunity for more abuse um, that wasn't happening before? Um, and I think there's like work to be done on both fronts. Um, I mean, I come from like a UK perspective. Um, so my experience and like, the recommendations I make are very much around that area. Um, and I think there needs to be more funding. There needs to be more um, frontline services provided. We've seen a huge number of cuts to frontline services um, under austerity. Um, and that has really damaged provision. Um, we've seen a complete cut to the services for children in, uh, in hostels um, and in safe spaces to get them out of abusive relationships. And for me, children are really the key because that's where you can really stop the cycle of abuse from generation to generation. Um, in terms of what we do during lockdown, I think there needs to be a real coordination by government. Um, I think there has actually been a coordination by the charities of the UK. They've done impressive work to pull together to maximise their resources and it, like, it's just incredible to see how those guys work so effectively. Um, but the government isn't necessarily backing them or supporting them as much as they could. There has been like a release of more funds but um, you know, really the release of the funds that's come out should have like happened just in response to the normal amount of domestic abuse that we know happens, yeah. not in response to a lockdown. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Jemima. Um, and thanks, Sharon, as well. I just thought I'd throw it over um, to the US, to New York, where Jamira's in. I know you work with young people as well. Um, for the young people calling in from the US, thank you so much for joining us. Um, just wondered if you had any takes on that question as well. Yeah, what I will say is that what we've been learning is that there's been an uptake, not just in domestic abuse, but also child abuse, right? The numbers that have been reported have seen as, have demonstrated as almost if it's been a decrease in child abuse cases, but really the outliers who normally would um, make the police or different entities aware of what was happening are not having contact with those young people. And so there has been a number of hotlines set up. There's been additional resources that have been in place for organizations who work directly with impacted youth. But I don't think there's been an, a widespread enough governmental um, response that have enabled for local communities to respond accordingly. Um, because we know that a lot of these programs are the first ones to di be dis um, dis what is the word that I'm looking for? To lose their funding from the government when times of crisis. And so what we've just been trying to do is make folks aware of the intersectionality of what's happening and that when we tell people to stay home, that oftentimes home is not safe for many people and oftentimes young people don't have a home to go to. So how do we create systematic ways in which young people can still access those resources? Um, but it's hard. It's, it's hard every single day when a government is more focused on changing the narrative versus actually solving real problems for rural Americans, um, not only on the health crisis front, but also on what's happening in many people's homes and how that's enabling them or not enabling them to be able to participate in society. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an everyday struggle, but for those who are watching and listening, um, I really would encourage you locally to um, get more involved and to use that opportunity to raise awareness to your local officials about why they should care about these issues and who is directly impacted. Yeah, 
Amazing. Thank you. And you make a really good point there about the intersection of so many things, isn't it? And not just, um, yeah, passing that as a blind eye or, or just maybe being a bit more in tune with someone's conversation or touching base with people. I think those are great ways. So, um, yeah, thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much. We've got people calling in. Um, and sorry, I had someone uh, Richard from Leicester has joined us. Hi, Richard from Leicester in the UK. Um, great to have you as well. Okay, we've got a question for Carlos next. I believe Joe's on the phone. Hi, uh, yeah. Hi, so the name's, yes, Joao, so close enough. Oh, sorry, um, Joao. Let me from as well. It's okay, it's a weird one. Uh, I'm calling from the southeast of the UK. Uh, but I have a lot of family and friends in Spain and Portugal, yeah. uh, so they've been hit a lot worse than we have at least uh, recently. Uh, I wanted to speak more on kind of the kind of uh, how we're tackling it medically and scientifically. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of companies uh, claiming that they have, you know, different cures and ideas for how we might cure and how we might target uh, the virus. Um, but many of these treatments obviously could take months. So you know, by rushing these these processes, are we putting people at risk? Are we acting in like a calm and calculated way, as it were? It, it, how How is the response to that? Do you think it might be being rushed? Is it at its most effective? Yeah, that's my question. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for asking. Thanks for joining. Um, okay. Yeah, Carlos. Yeah, thank you, Joao. That's a really, really interesting question. And definitely, uh, I'm not sure if the if the right uh, word to define this is, is rushing the the test because uh, I mean for one side we have a lot of people dying all over the world and no answer for it uh, but in the other hand yes I know that we are trying uh, so many different treatments that doesn't have uh, the robust data that we are used to it um, so. I think once again that that's a, that's a really interesting intersection because we as a physician are are eager to find a cure in order to stop people dying because it's really uh, disappointing for everyone and especially for us uh, facing every day uh, the people dying in the hospitals and we just being uh, attached of the hands like trying to do something and cannot. Um, but I'm gonna agree with you that maybe uh, in this rush to find a cure, we are probably uh, making some harm on some people. So it's a really tricky question because um, we cannot stop all the research trying to find a cure, but in the other hand, we cannot uh, continue uh, forcing some treatments in order to just uh, provide any kind of answer. Doesn't matter if, if that's good or not. So recently I was, I was reading uh, a journal uh, posted in the New England that actually quotes about that. And it says that it's our time to uh, rethink what we are doing. And if we don't have a cure, we need to focus more on the supportive care. I mean, probably in this point of the crisis, it's better to treat what we have, what we already know, and let all the research to follow the regular course. But thank you for the, for the question, Joel. 
and I have a lot of, of friends in, in pharmaceutical and in the uh, hospitals that they are uh, doing the best they can with what they could. Yeah, yeah, and, and I just wanted to, um, yeah, really encourage you because that is a really difficult place to be in. Um, the, the, the team from My Life Myself put together some stats of, of um, yeah, just, just kind of across the world what's been going on in terms of the death toll and confirmed cases. And globally, um, 3.77 million people have been confirmed positive with COVID-19. Um, and so you do feel the, the burden or the, the weight upon um, the medical staff and those in, in medical care to kind of, yeah, get a cure, but at the same time, not want to further those numbers anymore, you know? And so um, a few other statistics we've got here is, um, yeah, for you, Carlos, Mexico confirmed cases, 27,634. But recently the UK, I mean, the UK, we've, we've rocketed really. We've had a death toll of 30,000 people, 150 and um, 202,359 confirmed cases. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is, it is, just mind-blowing isn't it the the weight that you guys must feel so we do want to encourage you and say thank you for all the work that you're doing um to everyone to everyone who's doing work to make sure that we can keep those numbers down um also we've got a question from caitlin i believe caitlin is on the call as well got a question for bonnie i believe hey hi, hi. caitlin hi how are you and let us know where you're calling from hi i'm from northwest england Hi, Caitlin. So good to have you. What's your, what's your question? So given your expertise, what do you think will be the biggest impact on global development and young entrepreneurs? Amazing question, Caitlin. And Caitlin, um, just so I know, what, what, what work do you do? Are you there, Caitlin? Oh, no, she's not there. She sounds super young, so I wanted to know what, what was her line of work. But yeah, um, Bonnie, a great question. What do you think will happen in terms of, yeah, businesses, um, entrepreneurs? Yeah, what do you think? Well, um, circumstances, um, I think, make entrepreneurs. Um, when, I, I mean, I already see so much entrepreneurialism across the world. Um, my nonprofit will work in 23 countries. And so I kind of see just lots happening from Ghana, Kenya, all the way, of course, to, to my part of the world uh, in Hong Kong. So I think actually while the economy is going to tank and there will be very difficult circumstances ahead like lower investments for example i do think there will be a drive uh, towards more entrepreneurship happening um, just from how people are coping within uh, these uh, challenging circumstances um, i think especially more digital entrepreneurship uh, we already see um, a lot of things being pivoted digitally and um, I, I kind of I mean I'm so overwhelmed with news all the time but I see um, some uh, new kind of ideas popping up like how can we use digital with education then now a lot of uh, funders actually funding edtech startups uh, I was in a few I was mentoring a few hackathons and people coming up with ideas like online shopping in in places where e-commerce hasn't been the norm so I think actually they are a lot of digital opportunities that have come up and maybe as what Carla said, you know, the cure won't come so quickly. So this kind of way of life, social distancing, working remotely is going to be a norm for quite a while. Uh, and young people are very well positioned being digitally savvy to actually take use of those opportunities and create businesses themselves. 
I, I was going to say, I don't think many people will go back to work in an office because everyone's thinking, <laughs> Jemima's like, no way. Why would I do that? My bed's here. Like, I can work from home. Um, Jemima, just quickly, what's it, what's it been like? I suppose you're working from home. I'm guessing yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting actually. Um, I've actually been furloughed, um, so I've been doing a load of community initiatives, um, and one of them is called Spare Hand, and we've actually been using tech to connect volunteers with community organisations to help them volunteer in like a safe and secure way. Um, so Bonnie, I was like listening to you, I was like, it's absolutely right. Like, um, you know, if COVID hadn't happened, like we never would have come up with this idea and created this to get as like a group um of us from like the charity sector like the need has always been there to like manage volunteers better our backgrounds are all in the charity sector like why hasn't this happened before um and the reason is like because we haven't ever had the impetus to create something until there was like a real need to have volunteers on the front line yeah. um in this situation and i think it'll be fascinating to see as you say after the cry of crisis you know like people will return to work but people are going to be more engaged in their communities um and i think it could be the birth of sort of micro volunteering people wanting to do like an hour or two hours in amongst their very busy lifestyles but like always remembering this time and actually making a bit more time for their communities in the future or at least i hope so yeah and if i can just jump in i think what's really interesting about this moment with folks who are able to work from home is that for so long particularly the disability community have been shut out from opportunities because folks have said that they couldn't do certain jobs from home. And so we're now seeing an entire industries forcing folks to work from home. So I think this will open the door for a lot of folks who are in the disability community to be able to get access to new forms of employment, but also to recognize, you know, maybe we don't need all of our staff in the office every single day. There is a quality of life conversation that I think also needs to happen around how we allow for people to be able like how do we move from just hourly jobs to actually outcomes based right mm -hmm. so instead of forcing people to be in an office for nine hours a day we actually focus the the requirements around outcomes and what people are producing versus just like bodies in a chair yeah yeah uh, yes and also uh, i mean besides the question the, the discussion about quality of life there's also a huge impact in environment. So if all our supply chains that we have all over the world are, are really uh, based on, on petroleum and a lot of, of people uh, and a lot of cars and a lot of machinery. So uh, this new world, more connected, uh, digital, and uh, yes, I mean, more digital, definitely it would create a really impact on, on environment. So also it's a, a good chance to to transform ourselves in a more uh, digital way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great conversation to be having about well-being and care. And look what we've been able to do tonight, even just to grab people from all over the world. Um, not to just talk about my nan, who has now learned how to do more things than Candy Crush and can now FaceTime. Who has taught her that? I don't know. So, but it's a win. It's a win for the culture. Um, we've got another caller on the line. I've got a question for Jamira, I believe. We've got Romilly on the line. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Where are you calling um, from? Oh, Hartlepool in England. Hartlepool. Oh, we love to have Hartlepool <laughs> on the line. <laughs> Give us your question, sis. So recently there's been a lot of discussion about education. With schools, colleges and universities all being closed, do you think online learning is actually working? 
Yeah. No. <laughs> um, no, and I say that only because, so a part of the organization that I'm part of, we have an entire section called REACT, and it's all about um, how do you get education to folks in an emergency situation, so whether it's environmental or whether it's violent. And what we've learned is that um, online technology or online learning isn't enough unless it's coupled with something else. So whether it's coupled with in-person material, whether it's coupled with um, additional opportunities for interpersonal connections. Um, and so I do think that it is the most immediate solution for a pandemic that happened some would say, like my president will say it happened overnight, but we know that this has been happening for months. Um, but I will say is that it's forcing folks to reimagine what education looks like. And I think one of the things that's going to be transformed is what the classroom looks like and how we're providing educational opportunities, both in person and externally for young people. But alone, um, internet access to um, or online education alone isn't enough. Um, and what we're seeing too, the skills that we've outlined for the fourth industrial revolution are actually interpersonal skills, right? It's teaching young people to be critical thinkers, to um, be leaders and to be able to make rash decisions um, in emergencies. And oftentimes that requires for them to interact with other folks. Um, but I don't think it means we need to have 50 young people in a classroom in order for them to be able to get that real world experience. Yeah, yeah, fantastic question. Thank you so much. Um, someone who's emailed us in as well. Hi to Molly. Um, Molly, we're not too sure where you've, where you've emailed from, but that's all cool. It's great to have you part of the conversation. Molly's emailed to say, what are the future prospects for young people in relation to the repercussions of a global economic downturn as a result of the coronavirus? And how will this be resolved as previous trends show high unemployment within the 18 to, within the 18 to 24 age group, for example, after a global economic crash? Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Big, big question, Molly. Thank you so much. Um, I'll throw it maybe over to Bonnie, but feel free, panelists, to, to jump in. Um, yeah, in terms of a, of a global um, economic crisis, what do you think people aged 18 to 24, what, what, yeah, what do they have to um, think towards? It's, it's a huge question, and I actually don't think we've had enough discussion about it. Like, and um, I, I've been quite absorbed by what's happening kind of from a gender angle and, um, and so reading a lot about it but actually I think I've seen less from a perspective on uh, what's the adverse impact on young people. From an age perspective people are talking about how older people disproportionately you know unfortunately um, passing away from the from the illness but actually there's been very little discussion on what, what are young people going to do? Um, I think young people need to raise their voice. Um, there was a question in the Q&A, uh, which is related to this, um, who's going to pick up the bill? I mean, governments are spending so much money. Uh, I think Jamira in the US, like your bill is, is the largest uh, compared to all other countries, trillions. I mean, they sound like they're astronomical numbers. Our uh, job retention scheme in the UK is billions and it's well, uh, the same amount almost to maintain the NHS, it's crazy. Um, and as young people are the most economically productive agents with the most years to pay taxes, you know, it's going to be us to pick up the bill. And where are our voices? I, I think the, uh, the 
kind of responses from COVID-19 so far across all countries have been very government driven and governments uh, by default are older people. Um, unfortunately, I don't see uh, youth voices um, enough in that decision making. So I think maybe this is the starting point for us to really make a row about it and make sure that young people are not going to, we don't have a lost generation in front of us where young people are um, chronically underemployed and maybe to my previous answer, how can we unleash the entrepreneurial potential and really support that entrepreneurship coming from young people to transition us to capitalize on this like fourth industrial revolution of the digital economy and all that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Just a quick question from me on the back of that. Uh, before I'll go to Amy. So Amy, I know you've got a question and I know you're lining up. We're coming to you, sis. Um, do you think it's worth people considering going online in terms of work? Because I suppose everything at the moment, you know, we give thanks that so much is online. So if you're an entrepreneur, is, is going online a good thought to have? Yeah, everyone should go online. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, we've got Amy, I believe, on the call with a question for us. So let me down, Amy. Hey, Amy's joined us. So my question for the panel is, with the lockdown, every, a lot of young people have been wanting to do more, but haven't had the opportunity to, to be able to help out. So a lot of the young people want to do their own projects and campaigns to help people. So what advice would you give to them to help get their ideas started? Yeah. Great question. I might just jump that over to Jemima, if that's all right, because I know you mentioned, um, is it Spare Hands? Is it a charity or an organisation? Just walk us through, how did you come across that? How does it work so that for young people who've got initiatives or ideas, yeah, we could take some gems from that? Yeah, I think actually for young people, like this could be a huge opportunity. Like, obviously, I say that I'm appreciating like the impact on everyone's mental health and like it's really scary, but there are actually opportunities that will come out of this. Um, and I mean, Spare Hand is a really good example. Um, like it was a piece of tech that came from the commercial sector um, from a company called Higher Hand. And the guy who runs that said that he would donate the tech because the hospitality industry obviously isn't operating at the moment. So he would donate the tech and some of his backend engineers to avoid furloughing them to us to repurpose as a COVID-19 response. Um, initiative so then we all kind of gathered around it and figured out how we could take it forward and engage charities in it and like what the plan was going to be to, to use it most effectively and it's like had a huge success like we've now helped serve um, 200,000 meals in like five weeks um, so we've just had like a huge uptake in it um, and I think the the opportunities are like to look around at the problems that are existing as a result of COVID because a lot of them existed before they're just um, accelerated and they're just like much clearer as to what the problems are um, and then trying to find some sort of solution or way that you can provide some kind of service that meets that need um, and then looking to other people who are also doing that and collaborating with them um, like I, I find it it's almost easier now to collaborate with people because I just have to zoom with them I don't have to go and meet them um, and I can zoom, collaborate with people all over the world like I just hop from zoom to zoom to zoom um, all day long <laughs> um, and just like hear loads of other charities ideas and like different tech startups and I like, just chat to different people all day um, and kind of like pull it all as much of it into uh, what we're doing at spare hand as possible um, so I think there's lots of opportunities to use the technology to connect with people uh, collaborate around ideas identify problems that have probably already existed but like now you'll see them even more clearly 
um, and then bring your solutions to the table. I mean, you know, like there are generations of people who have loads of experience behind them, but for whatever reason they're shielding um, and they're not able to engage in work. Actually, this maybe is an opportunity for you to look at a problem that they've been doing one way for years and years and years and put a new spin on it and do it in a new way. Um, and that could be the start of a really exciting venture for you. Amazing. Yeah. Really, uh, those are oh, go on. You go, you go. Sorry. Yeah, I want to just uh, say that I love the answer of Jemima and also the answer of Bonnie, the, the two previous answers. And just to, to close that, that idea, I think that people from 18 to 24 are the ones that uh, has the less to lose. So if you already find a, a, a problem and you have an idea and how to solve it, attached to your idea. I mean, I mean, it, probably at this point, uh, all the overview is really great and, and we think that anything is gonna work, but if you chase your dream, you can actually become possible the impossible. So it's just about to really stick with your idea and go through it, uh, no matter how much people say that you can't. I think, I really believe in, in youth and I think that if you really want to do th something, you're gonna do it. Yeah, if I can just add to that, um, I think it's really important for folks to recognize that at, that at the forefront of every movement in history, young people have been there, right? So there's no age requirement to change the world. And if you're looking for another resource, there is an app called Community X, and it's allowed for young activists who are interested in getting involved online to build communities around issues. Um, they can build their own communities around organizations, but it's also a place to just learn more about anything from gun violence to education to the environment. So the first thing I would tell all of you to do is to really hone your craft and learn more about the issue so you can be that much more of a better advocate as you get more engaged in whether it's online or in person um, as, this, as the world continues to change around us. Yeah, amazing. What a positive note to kind of round things up on as well. Um, we're going to go to the poll now and just kind of get those results in. Um, so we, we had a poll at the beginning of the show today. Um, welcome, my name is Suaj. You're locked in right now to My Life by saying Quarantine Question Time. And our poll was, what do you think the number one thing that young people will think um, is, the, is the greatest global impact after COVID-19? And so, um, Bonnie definitely led the conversation on this one. 42% of young people said it was the economy. It will be the econ economy to be hit the most I suppose so yeah any final thoughts around that Bonnie? No and I think that's something we really urgently need to pick up uh, how can we make sure that with the economic downturn that we don't have a lost generation of young people um, and it's really in our hands and whatever we can do from my life my say as a community uh, to promote that yeah amazing and think about going online as well that was a sneaky gem that people snuck in there as well um also jamira wasn't far off we've got 23 percent of people saying that poverty poverty will be another big hit um a global impact as well so yeah any thoughts for people who may have that on their heart have have on their heart to help people or serve people um especially like you were saying it's so community-like isn't it to just kind of be reaching out and be thinking of others um yeah does that statistician sort of surprise you no, it doesn't surprise me because I think we're all hurting, right, in different ways. And the longer we are forced to kind of work from home without any ability for many folks to not be able to get access to income, it's going to get worse. But what I will say, though, is that 
we have to ensure that any solution that is coming about either through government intervention or individual organizations that it centers those who are at the margins, the poorest of the poorest, because change doesn't happen from the bottom up. It happens from the top. I mean, I mean, from the top down, it happens from the bottom up. And we need to ensure that um, solutions are centering those who are poor, who are don't have access, who are women, who are girls, who have been directly impacted by different issues, um, because otherwise we're going to continue to see the same solutions that aren't making the impact that we need. Yeah, and it will just be this ongoing cycle as well, won't it? Um, Fifteen percent said mental health, and I know Carlos, you mentioned mental health at the beginning. Um, just, just a quick tip, maybe a, a one-liner, just um, yeah, from your perspective in terms of medical field, just one thing that you do um, in lockdown or just at work to keep your mental well-being up. Any top tip? Uh, yes, find something that you really love. Uh, in my case, I love uh, help people, so I'm trying to do a lot of different uh, projects uh, like uh, fundraising to, to provide uh, medical uh, protective equipment or also on the other hand, I'm doing uh, this initiative to, to fundraise for people who is letting, uh, losing their jobs. So find something that you really love and at least one hour per day, uh, focus your time on that. Yeah, and Jemima, anything that you love in particular that you've been doing through lockdown? Yeah, I've kind of donated my commute to my uh, yoga uh, practice. So I'm, I'm trying to take the time that I was commuting in a horrible underground um, and instead uh, do some downward dogs to feel a bit better. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Look, we've got about three minutes left, but I just need to let everyone know how amazing our panellists are. So thank you so, so much to everyone who jumped on the call. And don't forget, we've got two more events coming up next week. We've got Joshua Wong, um, 12 p.m. UK time on the 13th of May, so put that in your diary. And also followed up on the 21st of May, we've got Chuck Hagel at 7.30 p.m. as well. Um, but one more time, thank you so much, Jamira. Uh, Jamira, sorry, Dr. Carlos, Jemima, and also Bonnie, you guys have been amazing to just shed light on what COVID-19 looks like globally. Um, and so guys, thank you so, so much for joining the conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank so much. Lovely to meet everyone. Thank you so much. And to our callers who've logged in and sent questions, keep sending them in. We'll try and get them out on for the next call as well. Um, but thank you so much for logging in. This is My Life by Say, Quarantine Question Time, and we'll see you guys very, very soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to My Life, My Say's podcast.